Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hi, everybody, and welcome to City Beautiful Church. We're continuing with our series today, Original Church, where, you know, we follow the story of the Gospel of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus, and now we're looking at the church that Jesus established in the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. And today we're going to be talking about fellowship. And in the spirit of fellowship, um, I really wanted to bring my friend Xavier to come and speak with me. Xavier is the pastor of a church in town called The Tribe, and over the past year we've gotten uh, closer just kind of sharing um, our experiences being pastors and living in this city and, and how uh, we're going about that. And, and he's, I just have such a heart for what he and his people are doing. Uh, and so I really want to invite him in so that we could share a little bit about fellowship, what we've learned over the years and, um, and what we're experiencing in our community. So Shav, I wanted to give you a little bit of time just to introduce yourself to everybody. Awesome. Hi guys. Thanks for having me. As Ryan said, uh, my name's Xavier, which is always weird to me um, because my mother called me by my government name and it always meant that I was in trouble. Most people now call me just Shav, um, but I love hearing uh, the full name as well. Not all negative things, but I'm so happy to be here on behalf of my wife and my two boys. We want to say hello uh, as a part of uh, the community that we get to pastor at Tribe Orlando. We're so thankful for friends who would open up their space to us. Ryan has been just a, a godsend to me um, as a pastor, as a young pastor, um, just kind of navigating the space in our city and just feeling and seeing the similarities of who, uh, what you've walked through as your community kind of ventures and navigates some things and we're doing some of those similar things. It just felt like friendship is what we were longing for and I'm so happy to have found it uh, with City Beautiful Church, Pastor Ryan and everybody here. So thank you for having me. Um, can't wait to you know, hang out some more after this, I'm sure. Well, and it's always funny, too, talking about government names to be called, like, Pastor Ryan. Like, oh, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, yeah, doesn't happen enough in our community. Yeah, well, I would... Uh, I, I remember with a, a youth group, when I was a youth pastor, like, I went to a, a football game, and somebody called out Pastor, and, like, four of us all turned around at the same time, and we kind of looked at each other, oh, so you too. I'm like, all right, so yeah, but yeah, Shav is good, or Xavier, whatever's easier. We're two or three gathered in a coffee shop. There's that's probably it. There's, a pastor There's probably, in. for sure, especially <laughs> in Orlando. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Like I said, we've been in this series, Original Church. We're taking this little passage at the end of Acts chapter 2 that's the summary of the Pentecost story, and we're looking at each of these little elements of what the early church was doing that was raising them up into maturity to be Christ followers. And one of the things I said last week I think is really important to remember through this whole series is when we look at the early church, we're not looking for replication, but for inspiration. That we don't want to just do things the way that they did them, but to say, how are we faithful in the 21st century to the spirit of Jesus in the same way that they have this attitude of being faithful in the first century? So I'm going to read um, that passage, and we're going to talk today about fellowship and we're going to be rotating through different translations of the scripture. So last week we used the New International Version. This week this is the New Testament for everyone. They all gave full attention to the teaching of the apostles and to the common life. That's the, the phrase fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. Great awe fell on everyone and many remarkable deeds and signs were performed by the apostles. All of those who believed came together and held everything in common. They sold their possessions and belongings and divided them up into everyone in proportion to their various needs. 
Day by day, they were all together attending the temple. They broke bread at their various houses and ate their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and standing in favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued. So last week, we looked at that very first part. What was the teaching of the apostles? And what is it when we really start to listen carefully to the apostles, to Peter, uh, to James, later to Paul, these very early leaders in the church, what was it that was their angle to the good news of Jesus? Because a lot of times we have these lenses um, where we've already got these questions in mind and we've been told what the gospel is supposed to be. And then we come and we kind of scour through the scriptures looking for those questions to be answered. And we don't take the fullness of what they're really saying. And I love that, that, that Luke here says first the, the teaching and then he moves on to the fellowship or the common life. And there's a real connection there that we get to work out what the apostles' teaching means in fellowship with one another. So we take this idea of the good news, this announcement that, that Jesus is now king um, over the whole world through his life, death, resurrection, and we are the people that are being gathered into that new reality called the kingdom, uh, that the good news is that we're being shaped and we're being formed by our allegiance to King Jesus. And the word fellowship pops up a couple times in scripture, and it's this word uh, in Greek, koinonia. Uh, maybe you are familiar with that one. And it, it essentially just means deep community. It also means sharing. And it also means intimacy, of course, which is, you know, one of our primary church values. And this was really, really central to how the early church understood uh, who they were and why they gathered together in the first place. That first of all, it was about this connection, this, this fellowship that they now have with God through Jesus, but then the fellowship they have with the other believers. So just for example, in 1 John verses 3 and 4, this is how they're setting the tone for the letter that they're writing. They said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So there's the connection with people. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And I love this. We write this to make our joy complete. So the more connected we are um, to, to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the more we're connected to one another, the more complete our joy becomes because joy is really an expression of fellowship. And so when we talk about fellowship, the question we're trying to answer is, what does it practically look like for Jesus to be Lord over our lives in how we treat each other? Um, and I love, one of my favorite things about scripture, and it always used to bother me, is like, it doesn't work as a manual for like, okay, you're having this kind of conflict, so you go to the Bible and it tells you exactly what to do. The Bible doesn't work like that when it comes to fellowship. It gives us some, some trajectory and some indicators of where to go, but it doesn't answer the questions yeah. for us. Yeah. It does open us up to an experience of the Holy Spirit, so we have to work it out. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. You know, I, I kind of went and had a you know, similar definition because Google, right? And uh, started thinking about how we're sharing in the deep community and the intimacy. But at a base level, what I had to come to understand in a, as a, in a simple way is that fellowship is about connection. Fellowship is about connecting firstly to God is what we see through Jesus' uh, parable as he's telling us about the vines and the branches in John 15, but we recognize that our connection to him, and it's interesting that he also says that their joy is made complete in this, yeah. so I love that. Um, and then to one another, later on when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, as he again says that we should be on one accord, and he's talking about our uh, the division that was there between their leaders. But connection, if you're anything like me, at a certain time you may have said, sure, I understand why we need to connect with God. 
I, I've settled that, my heart is there, I'm in it, but why do we need to connect to one another? Because there comes the hard work, there comes the, sometimes a the challenge. Um, and I wanted to start by you know saying this quote, or reading to you this quote um, from Brene Brown, um, talking about connection and why we need it. Uh, she says, we are hardwired to connect with one another. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives, and without it, there is suffering. And what I think is a really profound statement is to recognize not only our need um, for connection, but how we've been created for the necessity of it. But it was interesting to hear how she says that without connection, we suffer. You know, because I think, you know, sometimes within church context and church culture, we have a tendency to say, as long as I'm connecting with God, I'm okay. You know, just me and God, or oh, the relationships between me and the Lord. And we get to this place where we actually start disconnecting from the people that would actually bring to life the full express image. Um, of our Lord and I think that recognizing that and not having the view of God clearly through others that's where I connect to Brene's statement of saying this is where suffering comes in. You know, it's uh, maybe this is why the verses in, in Acts chapter 2, we see fellowship being singled out, which I love because like here's the early church and we, this is the passage of scripture that as pastors and leaders and as church planters and all the people will kind of gather and they go, this is the real thing. These are the people who got it, you know, and fellowship is singled out because what I realize is, is that connection with one another is a part of the thriving Christian life. Yeah. Like without connection to one another, we actually, you know, lose uh, the full experience of what it is to be in relationship with the Lord. You know, and I think in adopting Brene's view, because in Brene, I can trust that we recognize that it is absolutely a necessity for us to not only connect with God, but to connect to one another. Yeah, that also makes me think of like, even in Genesis 2, God creates Adam, but Adam's alone, and he has that complete pure connection to God, and so God recognizes so he needs community. He needs almost like that secondary connection, mm -hmm. not because it becomes a replacement for God, but, but that's the place God or Adam figures out what it means to be a human being, yes, yeah. and what it means to be in connection with mm -hmm. God is that he needed community, and so we're created, I think, from the beginning that this is something that we need. So, um, so fellowship is moving our theology to practice. We can have, we can say all the right things and we've read all the right books and, um, you know, taken all the, I hope you guys are taking advantage of all the amazing online yeah. courses that are going yeah, on right now, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that stuff's well and good, but we have to take it to practice. And so fellowship becomes the thing where we begin to practice the things that the apostles taught. Um, I think the second big thing about it, so theology to practice. The second big thing that we see about fellowship in the early church is uh, this idea of unity and diversity that we talk a lot about in our community. So we have, you know, our three theological values, intimacy, identity, and purpose, and then our communal values, which are unity and diversity and generosity. Um, and we're always trying to figure out the connection between unity and diversity and, and kind of differentiating between unity and uniformity um, and diversity versus, you know, just uh, everybody going in every which way. Um, and I think that we find the answer uh, when we're starting to take the apostles' teaching and allowing that to inform us as a community. Um, so this passage, for example, what I love about this passage in this translation is that the title for it, it says, The New Family of God. Mm. And I love that that's how it sets the tone for here's what to be the family of God looks like. So in the new family of God, we find ourselves in fellowship with people we wouldn't normally associate yeah. with. And it's so, it seems so uh, obvious to us right now, 
But this was the revolution of the early church. Like we take it for granted that, you know, I'm an immigrant from Northern Ireland, like you're Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. Like we take it for granted that we can, like this is just life in the 21st century in Orlando. But in the first century, this was an incredibly radical notion because it was a it was a culture the you know the Roman Empire at large like every pagan culture, where you were 100% divided by your socioeconomic status, your race, race or your ethnicity, uh, being a slave, being free by your gender, all of these different qualifiers for who's in and who's out and who we gather together with, and so this this almost practical revolution in the church where class and gender and ethnicity, all of these things are null when it comes to what binds together people. And the whole purpose of it, what God is doing in the church through fellowship, is he's trying to give us a vision of what the world looks like, what humanity looks like when God is in charge. Because we have to be honest, when we are in charge, we tend to take those very surface things like your, how much money you have or your color of your skin or who you voted for, whatever it might be, and we start to divide and discount people. Um, but the vision that we see in the early church was saying, no, it's in Christ that we all find unity and out out of that unity comes this amazing diversity of thought because those things aren't meant to disappear. Um, and you know I can't talk about the church without referencing old Uncle Stanley. Um, Stanley Hauerwas writes this in his book uh, Resident Aliens. He says, the most creative social strategy we have to offer is the church. Yeah. Here we show the world a manner of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not, namely the place where God is forming a family of strangers. I love that family of strangers. Like there's a new dynamic for what it means to be bound together. And I, I think one of the practicalities of fellowship is constantly being confronted with new groups of people and going, wait, like, yeah. they're allowed to, yeah. like that person yeah. gets to be part of this thing. And it, it pulls up within us all of our little tribal notions and our prejudices and God begins to work on our hearts so that we begin to see the fellowship the way that he does. Yeah. Um, and I read this really great analogy this week as I was preparing for this, um, this idea of, of making a salad, which I think is, okay, very obvious. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think it was like in the 80s and early 90s when I was a little kid, we talked about America was like the melting pot and then they changed the analogy because everything becomes a blob. Yeah. And it's like, so I remember salad bowl from like 1994, but, um, so I was reading this analogy. I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll follow this. And they said, there's three ways to make a salad. There's the American way, the wrong way, and the right way. And the American way is where you, you hack up some iceberg lettuce, maybe a couple tomatoes, one or two basic veggies, and then you just douse the whole thing with ranch dressing. So everything ends up tasting mm -hmm. the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, the wrong way of making a salad is where you take all of the elements of the salad and you keep them separated out on the plate and you almost like eat them one at a time so they never interact with each other. So you get the individual flavors, yeah. but they don't combine in any compelling way. And then he said the right way to make a salad, and I ran this experiment today for lunch, <laughs> is you, you, know, you get your, your, your spinach and kale and, and uh, you know, arugula or whatever, and you kind of chop everything up really finely, and then you bring in some more veggies, and you chop those up really fine, and then you add some nuts, and you add some fruit, and then you kind of drizzle it with some olive oil or something that doesn't coat over all the individual flavors, but actually brings all yeah, the individual yeah, yeah, flavors yeah. out yeah. together. And I thought, 
okay, I can I can really get behind the salad analogy yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I'm, I'm not much of a salad eater, but I remember <laughs> um, I, we have in, you know, for Latinos, we have something called Sancocho, um, which my, my uh, wife's family, who's Dominican, it's a very traditional dish. It's something that us will adopt it as well. Maybe some people are familiar with like gumbo um, or some sort of that. And it's the same concept, except that you would get a big old pot and you would want all of the flavors in that pot to come out so you wouldn't like restrict the platanos to be over here and the viandas to be over there or the different yuca or the different roots to be other places you want it all in the same goodness yeah. and it's actually in it being together that all of the best of it comes out personally i'm not a big fan of certain things that are in sancocho or even in gumbo but if you put it all together now you have a fan and i'm coming for seconds yeah. so yeah it's good i love that analogy um Hey, you know, and talking about that and that goes back to the point of connection for me because you start to realize, that, so what do I do if I'm Kale and you're arugula? Or what do I do if, you know, we have these different pieces coming together and trying to, you know, be in the same space? And it puts that, uh, that necessity for connection back to the forefront of our mind. And again, in reading from Brene's teachings and her research, she defines connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Courage starts with showing up and letting, other, uh, letting ourselves be seen. This is what you're saying and it's terrifying <laughs> for the most part if we're honest like most of our human experience our church experience just living in life whether we were back in school having to meet new people uh going from you know grade school to middle school to high school to college whatever there's always a sense of connecting with others can feel very scary um in as scary as this may feel it, i love hearing that quote from from uncle stanley as you call them because this is where the church has a way of leading us into fellowship in a way that nothing else really can. Yeah. You know, because there's this idea, there's this general, uh, almost subversive understanding that we st should step into church and understand that none of that stuff matters anymore. Um, they're not things that we need to, to like put off because we should be ashamed of, but at the grand scheme of things, they're not the main thing, you know? And this is why, you know, sometimes fellowship with others can be so hard because we're led into a space where we're fellowshipping with people who are not like us, um, that who are not necessarily cut from the same cloth or grew up the same way or whatever. We often miss out though, and this is what I would say, is that we often miss out on both the beauty and the mystery of deep fellowship when we limit our interactions or when we limit it to simply our shared Christian language theological similarities, and uniformity. You know, exclusivity within our fellowship will not only cheapen the experience, but it violates the original invitation to see and experience the beauty of God through the life and view of others. You know, I think that we miss out on an, just such a huge invitation of the Lord when we don't celebrate our uniqueness. You know, when we don't make space for, when we don't make room for that life that no one else that flavor and maybe it's just because of my roots when we talk about flavor that's what you know I can connect to easiest and there's just something missing we've 
my my mom when we grew up my mom would talk about her food and she'd watch you eat the first bite and you know she would say is it soso like is it is it missing salt in other words is it bland or is it tasalao like is it too salty like is it too much flavor not enough flavor and i think the church comes into that space to kind of be in the middle and both be able to say hey never never too much flavor like be bring it all in um bring it all in here and for those who are like well i'm just kind of a bland person like no you're never too bland just get close to a lot of the you know the saltier flavors um and i think that that's what church does and it should and that's what excites me about church and about fellowship is that i could never live your life I'm busy living this one. This is the world and the, the, the view and, that I've been given. And this is, you know, the experiences that I've walked through. And it heightens and, and it, you know, brings to life the image of God in my life. You know, as someone who personally who didn't grow up in church, who came to, you know, church in 18, 19 years old, got clean, got off the streets. And then here I am celebrating this place where now it's just like, here, everyone here gets along, you know, and learning how there was room for all of me to step in and that I had to check it at the door. Um, this is the most beautiful invitation that we get as Christians is to see and to recognize that when we look or we share space together, when we share virtual space together, that there is an experience on the other end of, you know, the people that we fellowship with, that we would never see Jesus the way that they did. And I think it becomes fuller. It becomes more, you know, where that you and I say all the time to one, it becomes more robust to stick with the soup and gumbo analogies, right? But I think that that's why, you know, the connection is so important. And I don't want it to simply be limited to our similarities. I don't want it to be limited to, you know, what makes us the same or uniformed, but what brings us into a fuller image of who God is. Yeah. And I didn't know we were going to be talking this much about food today. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like with the salad analogy, the funny way of starting off the analogy by saying like the American way where you just douse it with ranch is like where it covers over all that flavor. Like that's really convicting to me as a pastor because I think like, oh, I think in church a lot of times do we actually douse it all with the same culture and just kind of claim a neutrality mm -hmm. when in reality nothing's neutral you know what i mean sure. like i think i think unfortunately a lot of churches what they claim is church culture is white church culture sure. that gets imposed upon other yeah. other minorities or whatever um and we've been having some of these conversations for a couple of years in our church community of like how do like what do we do in a way that it's not you know, social justice for social justice's sake, but because Jesus is king and because we have this vision of what his people look like, like there's, you know, that line in Revelation where it's like, and I looked out and I saw the, wow. the, uh, the multitudes yeah. in every tribe, nation, and tongue. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's, that's our goal. Mm -hmm. That's where we're headed. Mm -hmm. So how do we call that back into the present and begin to practice it now? So sure. it's a very informed diversity under the lordship of Jesus, like what kind of conversations do you have in your community that's younger than ours mm -hmm. where you're, you're kind of wrestling with like, how do we remain true to ourselves? How do we kind of live into that vision of fellowship? Sure. I mean, and I have one of the things and reasons if there should be too many, but one of the things that I've been attracted to about you and your community is the willingness to tackle that very long 
or I should call it that lifelong pursuit of diversity. Because yeah. I think that's the big thing is that this isn't something that quickly is going to happen or something that can be a quick fix. But this is a lifelong commitment to one another to continue to see diversity within you know our worship settings and, and our church cultures. For us as a predominantly 18 to mid 30s community of black and brown people, uh, honestly, it's been mostly navigating people through the trauma of what it's been like to feel like their culture has been snuffed out wow. or dealing with walking people through when there is the I would call it like the feeling of when the you know the the veil gets ripped down and you thought well not my church my church is very inclusive and my church is very this and my church does that and then you look around and you're like Am I a token? You know, like, you know, and I think we, we've walked people through that space of being that token colored person in, the, um, in their room. And so some of the conversation ongoing has been that, you know, we've made room to hold space for, uh, even within Latinos, which we have a lot in our community, to have a lot of Spanish folks to say, even Caribbean Latinos are much different from Central and South American, you know, and to, to make space for culture, um, to not become so polarizing that it becomes the main thing, but to continue to make a space for where it can be celebrated, where those views, that life, like that engagement, and I think it's gone a long way for us to be able to go to the scripture and see ourselves in it. Mm -hmm. For many of us, some of that healing work started in there to go, I wasn't giving the quote unquote white gospel i was given the gospel and this is still good news and how is it good news and how what does that mean to us and um so those are some conversations that we've had and the conversation that continues uh to happen is how do we uh make celebration more important than comparison you know and i think that as long as celebration trumps and triumphs over uh comparison we're already winning you know there's already ground being gained at least we're going in the right direction and celebration, like you'll know, you know when someone's celebrating you and it feels authentic and it feels honest. And then you know when somebody just told them it was your birthday, and they're like, oh, happy birthday, Ryan. Like I didn't know, you know, and it's just kind of passive. Yeah. I think the greatest gift that we can give to one another in church community in the work of diversity is authenticity, of course, but also make celebration big. Right. Like make ways to or, or create you know opportunities in an authentic way to celebrate our differences and to make room for it um and and those are things that we're, we're learning as again as 18 and 30 sums black and brown there's a certain experience that we have yeah. and it's still saying okay so how do we how does this differ as our room continues to be more diverse and so yeah yeah, that's, you know, one of the conversations that I found really interesting over the past couple years in our community is how many of us are third culture kids, mm -hmm. which is like another whole thing. Like, it's not, it, that's not just an ethnicity. It's like when you're caught between two cultures. So for myself, like growing up in Northern Ireland at an early age and then moving to the U.S., mm -hmm. but being still raised in a British way, <clears throat> mm -hmm. but in American schools, um, in a liturgical kind of church, yeah, you know, yeah. um, but like, uh, you know, we, we have people in our community who they moved from Puerto Rico to Orlando in their very early teens. Mm -hmm. So maybe they wouldn't fit into, you know, a typical Latino church, but they still don't quite feel like they're comfortable in a predominantly Anglo church, you mm -hmm. know, or um, people that came from, uh, you know, communi communities where they spoke their native language in like South Florida or something, but now they're up here. And so at home and in church, they were speaking Portuguese yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so there's, you, you keep 
kind of ferreting out. Like, okay, there's some obvious diversity, but there's also some really subtle diversity. Like, I, I love what even what you're saying about like, uh, like Caribbean Latinos versus like South American Latinos. Mm -hmm. Even there, there's a little bit of a the maneuvering to go, sure. and you know, I think we all end up in a minority, whichever way you slice it. Yeah. yeah. But it's not about just doing the forensic analysis to like continue to exacerbate the problem, but it's actually mm -hmm. going, well, how do we celebrate that so all the flavors yeah, yeah. rise to the Come surface? I yeah, love that. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, so fellowship moves us from theology to practice. Uh, fellowship is us exercising unity and diversity. And then I think thirdly, um, the whole purpose, the goal of fellowship, that over time, we learn to develop healthy expectations of relationships with the goal of learning to love more like Jesus. Um, I was meditating on this today. Like, if our love for ourselves, for other people, does not have a goal, we tend to stall out and it doesn't have a, like a long-term sustainability to it, that we need vision for where are we going. So we need to be able to look uh, at God to say, well, what does it look like? Like God gets to define what love is. And so when I look at how God loves people, when he loves Israel, when he loves the early church, when he loves me and my people, what are the common things that I see in what he's doing? And that gives me a vision for what it means for me to learn how to love over time. And I think the most sustainable, deep communal fellowship connections that I've ever seen, they have a sense of direction. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is where we're going. This is the vision. Kind of getting like that, that revelation view of like, when God finishes all of this and he's restored everything, um, this is what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. So we know where we're headed. Or I don't know if you've ever heard this quote from Billy Graham. He says, um, I read the last page of the book and it's all going to turn out mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So I, the easiest way for us to practice as far as how I look at like, well, what does this look like practically for us? And like, you know, giving this thing life. Um, again, for the eighth time in today's talk, I'll talk about my Latin culture, but it's uh, this idea of sobremesa. And so it's a Spanish tradition that literally just means around the table, um, where the tradition is to stay around or at the table after the meal is shared to continue in the sharing of one another's company. So food's gone, plates have been cleared and we're still there maybe now we understand it more contextually as we go to a restaurant we're given the bill and our server's kind of like so yeah. you guys still doing all right you know because we've decided to linger around the table right. um i would go as far as saying that in this way i've always in our community we say that this is how god has used the latino and and, and well the colored uh people in our community the culture to say we're teaching hospitality we're teaching fellowship we're teaching what it is to stay at the table. Um, I think that this is where it's most easily exercised. You know, in the Acts 2 verses, we also see that this is what was being practiced. Like, it goes on to say how they were sharing, um, you know, meals in one another's homes. They were sharing their tables. They were sharing their hearts with one another. And I think that this is where we um, really see church come to life. Church is, uh, the best version of church for me is always what happens at the dinner table. It's always what happens around, you know, in our homes like you know I know where you go to church I know where you worship I I, I may even know or have been in a, a small group with you and know some intimate things about your life but who are you eating with you know like who are the people that 
you're not waiting or needing the table or the food to still be at the table to hold the space. You know, and I think that that's when fellowship becomes deep. That's when fellowship becomes intimate even. And when it really starts to realize or we start to realize that fellowship is best suited for the table and is most fully experienced there as well. I think that, you know, that was given to me or put into my heart even before I was a, a Christian and before I started going to church. Again, as somebody who started going to church 18 years old, you know, senior year of high school, about to step out into the, you know, this hard world, you know, that's when the first time I had ever really gone to a church. And before then, and I've told them this, and I, I tell them this often, like, my parents taught me what it meant to fellowship, and they taught me more, I feel, about church than any sermon ever would, because we spent our entire lives surrounded around being at the table, you know, my mom doesn't know how to cook for two or three people. She cooks in huge pots and there's plates everywhere and it's probably not the safest thing, but the door is regularly unlocked and we always cook enough because we expect someone to come in and we want to hold the space for if someone shows up, we want to make sure they eat. Um, and I think that that's something that I value so much. And so even in our church, tribe when we decided like I called a friend of mine and said hey we, we want we feel called to plant a church and we just want there to be you know it about kindness hospitality and tables like is that a thing like is, is can we start a church off of that it's like absolutely and you should and so in our community how we exercise is we do these things you know that maybe you guys have something like is just table talks where we create a space where we just talk like if it was time after a meal um we have our dinner parties we have all we we are food people so we just surround ourselves um around the table because it's kind of how you even started saying at the tables where we really realize that we we don't have uh, control oftentimes about the church's table, the Lord's table, right? It's like everyone's invited. You don't get to decide. Everyone's showing up. And I think that in holding that space is where we truly see God become not just beautiful and tangible and all of the things, but I really sense that that's where the nearness of God is. Like past the X, Y, whatever it is that we're eating. I mean, we're just like, that's where I sense the nearness of God is in the loudness of conversation you know it's in the you know and, and i know for some people it's like man we, we didn't have that i can tell you that it'd be hard pressed for me not to say this and feel good about it but i would say in my 33 years of life i cannot remember often having a meal that's not on a table people know it. like even I, i'll go somewhere i'll make a little table somewhere i always eat at the table at my parents house at my house my in-laws house like i find a table and people are like why do you do that like just come over here and, you know, eat. I'm just like, man, I just want to hold this space because this is sacred to me. Like, this is holy. This is this is where I, I've experienced God. And I want that if someone decides to pull a plate up, then now the space between us is sacred. Now it's like, all right, let, let's do it. You know, let's talk. So I'm sorry. That's that's no, just, I, I, that's my heart. Like, I that's, love that. that's, that's just who I am. That's who our community feels we're called to be, where it's just like we liken Jesus much more to the guy who's dragging tables together to make more room for people at the restaurant than he is the person who says, no, we're a party of four and we're good here. Yeah. It's like, no, like, always live with this awareness of, like, who else needs to eat? Who else needs to be here? And when the, when the food is gone, how do our hearts become glad? How does the joy become complete by seeing 
the express image of God through the eyes of the person across from you or next to you. This is what church and fellowship is for us. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, I, I, but I love that. It's like, you know, like even even though like one of the things I love about us is like our starting points are so different, but we've ended up in very similar places with mm -hmm. the Lord. Even though there's a lot, of, so I think we're still working on unity yeah. and diversity because like you know growing up church you know, in the church my dad being a pastor um and and having this kind of northern ireland's kind of like a british irish hybrid culture so we maintain a lot of what you would notice in both of those cultures and um i remember like thanksgiving in this country christmas easter like we collected all the strays mm -hmm. from the church yeah. the, the 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 single folks and the older folks and people who were far away from home or whatever and they came to our house to eat mm -hmm. and we mom always had like auxiliary tables just hidden everywhere you yeah. know and it's yeah. like the space could always <laughs> kind of what you're yeah. doing like, literally yeah. be extended mm -hmm. and it was a it was a to-do like we had we have this is the silverware that you only bring out on, we would eat with that on Sundays. Yeah. And when we had like these, you know, an Easter, a Christmas party or whatever. And so from being a little kid, I was eating like dinner with like the, the most, the strangest people, yeah, you know, but yeah. that was normal yeah. for me uh, because, and because part of it was because we moved to this country and we didn't have immediate biological family. So we made family wherever we went first in Michigan, then in Virginia, it's like, the church quite literally became our family and these became aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents because ours were 3,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. And um, when I moved into the new house that I have, um, I was using, you know, my parents are in France, so I have a lot of their furniture. I was using their uh, kitchen table because mm -hmm. they got rid of the dining table and I hated it because I could <laughs> barely get six people around yeah. it. And so for Christmas a couple of years ago, I bought myself That's like good. an eight foot table with mm -hmm. a bench and everything because I wanted everybody around it. And every, the older I get, the non-negotiable for community groups is food. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, maybe this is a little blasphemous. <laughs> I would almost rather we don't actually get to the Bible, yeah. but that yeah. we sit and we eat and we Come relate, on. you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, because it, just the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, this is what really matters. Yes, yeah. yeah. And this is where God's doing the work, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I love hearing you say that, and I'll, I'll share that way they can be mad at both of us because I, that's what we tell our community. I said, Hey, if it doesn't go to this deep theological Bible study and you guys just eat together, we did church. Like we had church, like pray for them, bless them. And we had church because that space to me is, you know, the holiest thing. And, and, and it reminds me like our part in doing that is that we can get to a place of, I may not I may not have a friend who's willing to show up to a church gathering or a worship gathering anywhere else, but they'll probably come to dinner. Yeah. You know, they'll probably show up to dinner. So what's the, like I think that we've we could learn a lot obviously from this first church, but I think it's also important for us to realize like in our context like not much has changed. People are hungry. You know, people want food. Like I know at at our house like with my parents, it's always one we've done the same we've taken in all of the uh families who who've moved here and their families are back home and maybe they don't visit or whatever it is and it feels like our holiday parties are like all of our immediate family which is like 40 of us and then there's the 10 to 15 regulars from the church who have now you know been in that space and i do think you, do you have all the tos and ts that aren't Actually, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it would almost be offensive to think of them as anything less. Like, what? Like, no, that's not that. They're, they're Theo, that's Theo, Theo and Titi. Um, and we have, you know, a 
tradition for us in our household when we bought our table as you talked about that I stole this from the Goths, uh, Bob and Maria but they say that whenever they would have people over that because of the holiness and the sacredness of that shared space together uh, they would have their dinner and while they were having their sobre mesa time or just lingering around the table, that at some point they would hand their guests a marker or, you know, whatever it was. And they would get underneath the table. They would invite their adult friends to crawl underneath the table and to write their names under their dinner table so that that space would be held forever as a sacred moment. So now at our dinner table, if you crawl under it, you'll start to see names of people who have come over and shared time with us the date maybe a message and uh i'm gonna get a little emotional um go there so i i feel like whenever i see those names i realize like we held space for someone who is inherently valuable to god and inviting them into our space we did well to do church that way um and I think in holding that tension in that space um, to continue to say like, well, who else needs to come and eat? And one of my favorite um, things that our community talks about is that oftentimes when we see Jesus and we're trying to teach and go through it is that Jesus kind of does like a, a table crawl um, through the, you know, through his life and ministry where he's sharing tables with different people at different times and it gets him in trouble. And there's this idea that Jesus regularly visits and has, you know, good food with what the culture has called bad people and I think that that's the invitation again our opportunity to step into our moment is to say who are you eating with who are you rubbing shoulders with who are who who are you connecting and holding that space for and um, that's why I think the table is is the destination is what we have to get to dang I mean I'm teaching the breaking of bread in a couple of weeks but I think yeah. you already just preached that <laughs> sermon for me yeah yeah good I'm sorry <laughs> no that's good man like but that's what's so amazing about it is like we could compartmentalize and be like oh there's this there's, we got to do teaching and then we got to show up to church and then we got to celebrate communion and then we should say our prayers and it's like we compartmentalize them and it's like all of this is just different ways of saying the same thing mm. right yeah. yeah and they all just kind of flow from one to the other and I I just think I just love that um, so we need to, we need to wrap it up yes. here um, we could talk about this for yeah, ages, yeah. I'm sure. Um, but this is, again, this is we're starting conversations. We're not concluding them mm -hmm. in any means. But um, before we spend some time in prayer, um, we wanted to share with you one of the initiatives that we want to do to continue to build fellowship, especially between our two communities, is that we want to we start up like a pen pal um, correspondence. And so if you go to citybeautiful.ch slash weekly, that's where we have all of... Uh, the things that are happening in our community. You'll find a little sign up there, your name, your physical address, your email address, and we're gonna partner people between our two communities. Awesome. And we want you to write each other letters, uh, make drawings and send yeah. them. Like you've got a lot of little kids in your mm. community, we've got a lot of little kids in ours. Like let the kids communicate with each other. Just share like, what are you what are you feeling in this season? What do you feel like the Lord's saying? And, and I think if anything, whatever the answer is to like what, a church looks like in terms of diversity. There can be a connection between churches that achieves the same thing, yes. that we learn from one another and we bless each other. So I really want to get everybody on board with this. Make sure that you sign up for that uh, today. So we're going to spend some time. Oh, and um, yes. Um, so let's, we, I, want, I want us to spend some time praying for each other's communities. Sure. Um, 
a lot of time Shav and I get on the phone, we just kind of vent to each other of like <laughs> what we're experiencing or what we're feeling or whatever. So we know pretty well what's going on, but we'll just kind of pray for the Lord to bless both of us. So I'll go first and cool. And, uh, and, and then you can, and yeah. Okay. Um, so father, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for this, this really kind of bold and almost dangerous vision that we see of the early church in the book of Acts, um, because it shakes up all of our assumptions of, of how human beings are supposed to be valued. Um, and who's in and who's out, and, and it makes us face a lot of the things that maybe we didn't even know we had a problem with. Um, and Lord, I just pray that for both of our communities, you continue to lead us in that way, that because Jesus is King, and He sits on the throne right now, that we live in His kingdom, and we're practicing, we're working it out day by day, what it means to be faithful citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, I pray that your hand of grace would always be on the tribe, on Xavier and Christina and their leadership team, um, that you would continue to give them a vision of not just what it means to, to do church according to some sort of uh, prescribed program, but to say from day by day, Lord, who would you have us be today and where would you take us because of that? And Lord, I just pray over them um, that spirit of faithfulness that wherever they wherever they head in the future, maybe it isn't what they thought it was going to be, but because you led them there, it's going to be better than any vision that they had for themselves. And God, I just pray that if there's a continual open hearts, especially for Xavier, that he would um, always be so open and sensitive before you, asking you time and again um, to speak to him, to guide him, to reassure him that he finds all of his sustenance in being with you. And then that naturally continues to radiate from who he is to his people and that they all know you more because they know him because they've sat at his table. Lord, I just ask a blessing over every table uh, in, in the tribe community that it would become that fertile soil for fellowship to take deep root and to lead people deeper into your embrace. Amen. Father, I just thank you for the community here at City Beautiful Church. And Father, we're so thankful for friends. We're thankful for uh, giving us the opportunity and gifting us with this gift to practice our theology, to see this come to life. And I'm thankful for the community here who is doing uh, the hard work and the lifelong work of creating and establishing healthy relationships with one another and within the city. And God, I just pray uh, just for uh, this, this springing up of this connection to this thing that we're talking about, which is somehow has come back to tables. And Father, I just know that there's so much life to be experienced. There's so much beauty to be seen um, around their dinner table. So God, I know that although this moment in our history is different, although it feels hard to navigate and pray, the city beautiful would be a place where homes are open, where hearts are connected to one another, uh, where space is held to be sacred and holy. Father, I pray that you would help uh, the people in this church and the leadership of this church to uh, continue to see the inherent value in every single person that walks through their doors. Thank you for the safety and the place of refuge that it has been for in the city. I pray for uh, Ryan and that he would continue to make room for you. Father, liken him to what we believe your son would be doing to bring more people and invite more people to the table, that he would hold that 
that space. I pray that uh, he would find himself in deep, deep community with the people in, uh, of this co uh, community and congregation. Father, I pray for deep friendship. Let this be a place full of friends, God, where they can truly say, I go to church with my friends. I worship and gather with my friends. Father, we just release a gift and a blessing of friendship, uh, of connection, of belonging like they've never experienced before. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.